As an industrial water treater, you have to do so much. You have to know about so many things. Chemistry, physics, environmental, electrical, and the list goes on. But did you ever think that list should include cyber protection? Who's got time for that? Well, hackers have plenty of time to find your vulnerabilities and hold your valuable information hostage. 43% of all cyber attacks happen to small businesses. Small businesses are not prepared to defend against cyber attacks. The cyber threat protection experts at Reinhardt Consulting Group have been helping water treatment companies with strategies to protect their valuable data. Here's the thing about Reinhardt Consulting Group. They understand what water treatment companies need to defend against these attacks. From training to software, Reiner Consulting Group is your one-stop shop for protecting your valuable data. After all, where would you be without your data? Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash cyber to find out more. That's scalinguph2o.com forward slash cyber. Don't wait before it's too late. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. My name is Trace Blackmore. I get to host this fantastic podcast. Folks, episode 285. I am just so amazed that, well, we have well over 285 episodes. If you've listened to this podcast, you know I tried to be creative when we first started numbering. And I don't know why we did that, but well over 300 episodes. And I want to thank you for being a member of the Scaling Up Nation. Of course, without you, we would not have a podcast. I would just be speaking and nobody would hear the words that I'm saying. And there's no fun in that. I do that all the time. And it's just not as fun as when you listen to the podcast and then share it with other people that you know will find the podcast interesting, giving them something to aspire to do, maybe think differently. I love the stories that I get when people say that they tried something new because they listened to this podcast. And I love that the podcast is a catalyst for you doing what you wanted to do all along, maybe making the job a little bit better better and the way that you knew it could be all along. But the podcast is just that little push to get you there. And I want to thank all of you for doing all the things that you do to make this show as successful as it is. And success is making the water treatment industry better one water treater at a time. So I know that is you listening. So I want to thank you for that. And I also want to thank you for letting all of the other water treaters know that we have a podcast out there that's just for us, the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And we are growing strong each and every day. It's amazing how, how many people are finding us and how many people are writing in and letting us know what it is that they want to hear on the podcast. There's hardly an episode that goes by where I am not saying thank you to the people that have written in or gone to scalinguph2o.com and left a voicemail for us, or they've written in and gone to our show ideas page, because those are the people that ensure that we're going to have another 300 episodes. So thank you for that. If you've got an idea or a guest or just anything you think would be beneficial for us to talk about here on Scaling Up H2O, don't keep that to yourself. Please go to scalinguph2o.com. And like I said, you can either leave us a voicemail or you can go to our show ideas page and then we will make sure to get that in our running list of topics. Thank you in advance for all of that. So many people have also let us know that they really enjoy going to the scalinguph2o.com webpage because all of our events in the water world are listed there. So you have a one-stop place to find everything that you need that's going on that surrounds water. 
So if you have your calendars out, and if you don't, don't worry about it because I will have all of this listed. I say I, it's our wonderful staff, will be on our webpage, on the events page, and it will even put an event in your calendar. So first off, the Asia Pacific Smart Water Utilities 2022 is taking place December 14th through 15th in Singapore. So to learn more about this, you can go to our show notes page and you actually don't go to our show notes page. We used to keep it on our show notes page. That's why I say that out of habit. But we have a special page now that's marked events that allows you to see everything that's going on in a much more user-friendly format. Another item you might want to check out while you're there is the 2023 Clean Tech Forum of North America. That's taking place January 23rd through 25th in San Francisco, California. This is where they connect the largest generation of startups, investors, and corporations looking for new partners or co-investors around the water industry. So if this is something that sounds interesting to you, we've got all that information on ScalingUpH2O.com on the events page. Almost the last one that I'll mention, the Water Environmental Federation is having their 38th annual water reuse symposium right here in my hometown of Atlanta, Georgia. That's going to be March 5th through 8th. And if you are thinking about attending that show, you might see me there. It's in my hometown, and I would love to talk to you and hear all the things that you are finding at the WEF show here in Atlanta, Georgia, March 5th through 8th. All that information you can find at scalinguph2o.com. Now, one more thing that I am going to mention, it is my favorite thing to do the entire year, and that is being one of the trainers at the technical training seminars that the Association of Water Technologies has twice a year. So depending on where you live or where you want to go, we normally have one on the east side, one on the west side. So the west installment is going to be February 21st through 24th at San Diego, California. What a great place to go in February. So to find out more about that, you can go to our show notes page or you can go to our events page And the East installment is going to be March 29th through April 4th, and that's going to be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Folks, there is so much going on with those training classes. Of course, if you are trying to bone up on what you need to know new in the water treatment industries, we have a fundamental and applications class. If you are somebody that does water management plans or wants to start doing water management plans, well, you want to make sure you go to the West installment of that, February 21st through 24th, where you can enroll in the ASSE 12,080 training and become certified in that. Maybe you want to learn more about sales. Well, that will be at both the East and the West. I mentioned the fundamentals and applications, also both the East and West. The RO filtration training is both the East and West, and water treatment training is also East and West. However, if you want to enroll in the wastewater, that's going to be in Pittsburgh only. This is one of my favorite classes because people that really know what they're talking about are in the wastewater class to teach you what they have learned from years of experience, and they just paint a picture for you like you were on site at a plant and you get to get your hands dirty. Yes, you will get dirty in this class, but you're going to come back with so much information. So for more about that, go to our events page at scalinguph2o.com. And by all means, if you are going to be at any of those, specifically the WEF in March in Atlanta, or either of the technical trainings, I'm going to be there. I want to see you. So make sure we find each other. Nation, as you know, one of the things that we try to do is see how well our podcast is doing with various topics, how many people are listening, how many people are sharing. We're trying to figure out what we can do better based on what you do once the podcast is delivered 
to you. And one of the things that we're going to do today is we're going to bring back our most listened to episode. That was episode 212. We aired that back in September of 2021. And this is where we were talking about what do you do if your system tests positive for Legionella? So here is our encore presentation of Alberto Camasi. My lab partner today is Dr. Alberto Camazzi of Sanapure. How are you, Alberto? Okay, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, so my name is Alberto Camazzi. I'm originally from Italy. You can probably tell from my accent. Hopefully everybody will understand my, my accent here. Um, I graduated uh, the University of Milan uh, a few years ago. Um, I got a, a PhD in industrial chemistry and chemical engineering in the same university. As I was doing that, I did an internship uh, at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign for a few months. During my uh, college time, I used to work on water treatment and also oil and gas. So that's how um, I got involved with Sanipure. And that's how I got to know them because we were collaborating on, on some projects uh, when I was working in the lab. Uh, I got to know them. I got my PhD. I asked them if they were looking for somebody. They said yes. They were looking for somebody to get trained in Italy and, and then move here to America. So I said, well, let's do it. That's how I packed up on my suitcase, moved to Philadelphia and started to work for Sanipur US where... Right now, I am the technical director and business development manager. And in particular, Sanitary US deals with supplemental disinfection technologies for water hygiene and water disinfection. I'm also a member of the ASHRAE 188 committee, and I'm a member also of the AWWA premise plumbing uh, committee. What are some of the things that you're talking about in the ASHRAE 188 committee? Well, the ASHRAE 188 right now just uh, published the uh, ASHRAE Guideline 12. So there's been definitely a lot of work to get that published. It has been a, you know, a process that required quite a few years with some public reviews. I kind of joined ASHRAE 188 when that was already um, in process. So it's very interesting to be a part of that group because you can... Uh, literally talk with uh, world-class scientists and with the market leaders in the nation about uh, water treatment and water hygiene. So it's definitely uh, a good experience because you can bring your background at the table, but then there are a lot of knowledgeable people at the table and you can definitely learn a lot by joining those communities for sure. What's something you miss about Italy that you just can't get in Philadelphia? That's, that's an easy question. Uh, that there is an easy answer. It's, it's pizza. <laughs> There's good pizza here in Philly, but um, you know, there are also a, a couple of good cheesesteak places where I can replace the pizza with a good cheesesteak here in Philadelphia. So I definitely miss that, but um, it's easy enough to go back home from Philadelphia. It's not that crazy. At, at least before the pandemic, I could fly out from New York and Sometimes I flew back home just for a weekend, for a long weekend, so it's not that big of a deal. But Philly's a good place, uh, especially when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, for sure. So Pats or Geno's? Neither of them. Jim's on South. There we go. We're all doing cheesesteak wrong. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Those, are, those two are the commercial places, you know, where the tourists go. Let's put it that way. There's no doubt about it. We've had a lot of shows about Legionella. I think we've cleared up a lot of misconceptions about Legionella, about how the water treaters should talk with their customers about Legionella. But something we've never done before is have somebody that's directly involved with the secondary disinfection of that. So that's what I'm really excited about today, that we can talk to you and, and talk about what we need to know when we do have a Legionella issue. What are our options? How do we go about remediating that? All of the questions that surround that. So are you ready for that? Absolutely. Can't wait. So let's just start there. So let's say, and Scaling Up Nation, if you have not reviewed some of the episodes prior to this episode to learn more about Legionella, I'll have a list on my show notes page 
so you can bone up on the topic and join us in this conversation armed with what we're talking about. So let's say we now have a Legionella water management plan. And in that plan, it says that if we got X amount of Legionella bacteria, that we have to do some sort of remediation. And now we're there. We're now talking with somebody like yourself and we need to get something set up. What do we do? Yeah, good question. Good question. And, uh, you know, there is not a silver bullet here. There are different options that are usually written in the water management plan or uh, there are also different options that a building manager or building owner can look for in the marketplace. There are different techniques to either prevent or remediate Legionella. The first one, of course, is best is good water management practice. So, you know, flush, making sure that your temperature is well controlled. But in some cases, that is not enough. So in some cases, some buildings get to the point to what you just said, you know, they have a Legionella problem. So what, what am I doing after I figure out that I have a Legionella problem? Well, first of all, you need to test for Legionella. Unfortunately, as of right now, uh, testing for Legionella is not mandatory. So it's a sort of a proactive action that the building uh, is taking. Um, water management plans might suggest to test for Legionella, but it's not, as I said, it's not mandatory. But in my opinion, that is the only way to validate that your plan is working. Otherwise, you're uh, kind of blind and you don't know if you actually have a Legionella problem or do not have a Legionella problem, or you don't know if you're plan is working or not working. So let's pretend that we're testing for Legionella. We find Legionella. What are the options that we have? Usually what a lot of buildings do uh, as soon as they have a problem with Legionella, they can implement heat and flush. So they increase the temperature of the water to a point where that temperature can kill Legionella. So usually above 160, and then they start to flush the system. Uh, there are some drawbacks with this remediation technique. Uh, the first one is that it's actually difficult to bring 160 water everywhere in the plumbing system. It could damage the plumbing system. It could scald somebody and technically could not be effective over the long term because even if I'm taking care of the problem right now, from tomorrow, I still can have some Legionella coming in from, from the city because that's how Legionella comes in in my building, comes in from the city water. And plus, uh, as I said, if we don't get to that temperature everywhere in the system, there might be still some Legionella in the system that can eventually recolonize the building water system. Second technique of uh, remediation for Legionella um, are the point of use filters. So that is a physical barrier that we put between the building water system and the occupants of a building, and that physically prevents the bacteria to go through the filter. So typical Legionella filters are between 0.1 and 0.2 microns. The actual Legionella bacteria is bigger than that, so it cannot physically go through the filter. So the filter, uh, unless it's not working right or some mechanical problems happens, gives you pretty much uh, 100% uh, protection against Legionella. So in this case, it's easy to think, uh, well, why don't we install filters in every faucet and every showers in the country, but uh, it's not an effective solution. First of all, from a financial standpoint, uh, it's not cost effective. Second, these filters need to be replaced uh, on a regular basis. So they need to be replaced every month or every two months or every three months. So it requires a lot of manpower. Of course, if we think about a small building, it might not sound uh, like a big problem, but let's think about a big healthcare facility or a healthcare campus. We're talking about thousands of faucets and fixtures there. So it becomes very hard to handle that and to track of what filters are being used and what needs to be replaced. So what buildings usually do is to install these filters just in the areas where immunocompromised people are, such as the ICU or the NICU. So in those areas where uh, there are really immunocompromised patients, so we need 
that sort of 100% protection. Or the filters are also used in response of an outbreak or, or a case. Uh, you know, if the state gets involved, uh, they want to do something quick uh, so they can say, okay, uh, let's install the filters. They can usually, you know, whatever supplier, whatever filter supplier you choose, they can usually ship the filters overnight everywhere in the country. So it's a very plug and play solution over the, the short term. And then the third uh, type of techniques is called supplemental disinfectant. So here we can divide the disinfectant uh, or the disinfection process, let's say, in two different categories. So we have the shock treatment or we have the actual supplemental disinfectant uh, treatment. So the shock treatment, as the word shock say, it's something that, again, in, in a response of an outbreak, a building can shock chlorinate the building plumbing system with either chlorine or chlorine dioxide, or in some cases even with monochloramine. And they usually increase the level of disinfectant to a point that is much higher than what is allowed in drinking water. So at that point, the building needs to go on, on water restriction. Nobody can use the water. They usually leave the building with the high level of disinfectant in the building plumbing system for a few hours and then they flush it out. Again, this is kind of heat and flush. Uh, it could be effective over the short term, not really effective over the long term, because we have no effect on what's coming in from the uh, CD from the day after. And also, uh, it could damage plumbing materials, and it can disrupt the biofilm to a point where it looks like it's working, but then you test after, after a month, and your levels are coming back up. So the supplemental disinfectant instead are a continuous treatment that a building implement. And so there is a, a chemical feeder that keeps feeding chemicals as needed in the building in order to maintain the disinfectant level to a point that is safe for Legionella remediation. And this is done mostly because when the public water utility delivers the water to the distribution system, by the time the water flows from the point of entry of the distribution system to the point of entry of your building, the disinfectant concentration will drop and most likely will drop below uh, to the point where it's not effective against uh, Legionella anymore. I think that most of the state require 0.2 parts per million at the point of entry of the water distribution system I think Pennsylvania requires 0.2 at the point of entry of the building. I think New Jersey was talking about raising the levels at 0.50 at the point of entry of the building. But it's first of all, it's very challenging due to the nature of a public water utility. Second, even if we're talking about 0.2 or 0.50, it will likely not be enough to uh, keep the building safe from Legionella. So that's why in you know most of the cases, a water management plan uh, suggest the use of a supplemental disinfectant. So we can make sure that the disinfectant levels in the building are at a level that are enough to kill the Legionella that is in the building already and kill the Legionella that is eventually entering the building water system. Alberto, a lot of people will try heat and flush first. Is there any way to verify that we have reached 160 degrees through every part of the building? Yes. Uh, the way to do that is when you flush the water from all the fixtures, it's physically going there with a, you know, a thermometer and, or a temperature probe and measure the temperature. Well, if you do that, you're sure that you're, you're reaching that temperature at the fixture, but you're not sure that you're reaching that temperature everywhere in your plumbing system. Plus, if we think these about the time that we're required to do that for each fixture, we're talking about hours and hours of, of work. Uh, and plus, these are all hours where the building needs to be on, on water restriction as well because you can deliver water at 160 Fahrenheit to, uh, for human consumption. Something I've seen with filters is people forget to change them. They're, you mentioned one, two, three. I've seen some that are good for six months. And then you look at the dates and it was 18 months since it was installed. Do they totally lose their effectiveness as they age? 
I don't think that they lose their effectiveness one day after the expiration date, but uh, you need to keep track of that because if something happens uh, and then the state gets involved and then the filter was supposed to be changed a month ago, and but it wasn't, and somebody got sick in that room, then there is room for litigation in that case. But I agree with you. That's why filters are usually used in just certain areas of, of the buildings. I have to be honest, though, there are some apps that right now you can install on your phone and there is a QR code on the filters where you can scan the QR code as you're installing the filters. And then your app will tell you, you know, this filter in this room needs to be changed. So it, it right now, of course, it's much easier to keep track of what needs to be done and what filters need to be changed. But of course, there is always the human factor into it. You know, there is always a notification that will come through on Friday afternoon at 4.30 p.m. And somebody will, will forget about that, you know. So, yes, uh, th- that is definitely a problem with the use of filters. You know, somebody forgets to, to change them. And, um, you know, if something happens, that could be a big, big problem. And then the last thing you mentioned was secondary disinfection. And we, we've got, I guess, two different flavors of that, if you will. We have the continuous. And then we have when somebody just brings something in for remediation. So. Can we break those two down? When is one appropriate over the other one and get your experience? So usually a shock disinfection, it's something that uh, is usually done in response to an outbreak. So there is a case, again, the state is involved. Uh, you need to do something quick. So you call your water treatment provider and they can come in the same day. They can just hook up a system either at the point of entry of your building or on your domestic hot water system or both. And then they can just start to overfeed uh, a disinfectant in the system. And that's something that you do for a few hours and then you need to flush. But again, same drawbacks of heat and flush. So water restriction, a lot of time, you have to flush the entire building. You, In this case, as you asked, how can you make sure that you reach a certain concentration now here you got a, a certain temperature, sorry. Now here you have to make sure that you reach a certain concentration uh, everywhere in the system, which is, you know, sometimes it's just impossible to do that. And a lot of different building water systems are uh, very different. So they have different design, different risers. So it's very hard to implement something like that in a building that you don't really know how the plumbing system is designed. Uh, whereas a supplemental disinfect- disinfectant system, it's something that you install and it's operating 24-7. So it keeps feeding disinfectant as needed in the building water system in order to keep the levels to a point where it's effective uh, against the Legionella or other waterborne pathogens. And of course, there are different controls uh, based on different disinfectants that can be implemented in order to feed the disinfectant into into a building. When we talk about supplemented disinfectant, we usually talk there are three EPA-listed disinfectants that are chlorine, chlorine dioxide, and monochloramine. And copper silver is used as well as a technology for as a supplemented disinfectant. And there are also other technologies out in the, in the marketplace, um, such as mixed oxidants. Uh, uh, there are different uh, chlorine dioxide generators that uh, generate chlorine dioxide in different ways. So, I mean, there are a lot of uh, solutions out there in the market, for sure. In your experience, does one of those disinfectants work better than another? Um, it depends on the, what is the target and what is the application. I would say that the most commonly used right now in the country are monochloramine, chlorine dioxide, and copper silver. Uh, chlorine is something easy that can be used because it's basically just a, a small dosing pump that feeds chlorine in the building. But it, it is widely reported in the literature that chlorine is not the, the best option for Legionella remediation, at least in buildings. There are a lot of, of drawbacks with chlorine. Between monochloramine, chlorine dioxide, and copper silver, of course, each technology has its own pros and cons. I would say specifically for building water system, monochloramine is probably the best one uh, just because it's more stable 
uh, it's a much more stable molecule and being more stable it, it is just that physically and chemically easier to carry a consistent residual throughout the uh, the building water system of course then there are some other application for legionella remediation still but let's talk about process water and maybe the contact time it's so short, uh, so then we need to use a stronger disinfectant. So in that case, we might need to use chlorine dioxide, you know. So it kind of depends on uh, what the application is. But I would say if we're just strictly talking about building, then probably monochloramine is, is the best option. There's probably a listener out there, and they've just received a phone call from one of their customers, and they say that they want to do supplemental disinfection. What should this listener start with? What questions should they ask the customer? How do they go about making sure they install it in the right process? What are all the things that needs to go through that person's mind as they're gearing up for this? Good question. Yeah, because sometimes from the building standpoint, it's a lot to process, you know, especially if you're in a situation when you need to make some decision quick. So as I said, it's each building water system is different, but it's um, there are some things that needs to be that need to be taken um, into account where installing a supplemental disinfection system. I would say first of all is talk with the building and uh, understand what is their target. So is their target just Legionella or are they concerned about different waterborne pathogens? Then the second question is, and this is the million-dollar question, is are we going to install the supplemental disinfection system on the incoming cold water from the city or just on the domestic cold water system? What I've seen here is that um, a lot of people, especially when you're talking with uh, people from the actual facility from the building, if they don't have um, a water treatment background, they might think that treating the entire cold water is better because as I'm treating the cold water coming into the facility, then if I feed the disinfectant there, then I'm going to treat the entire water in the building. However, it is not that easy. So what is what matters at the end of the day is to establish a consistent residual for Legionella remediation in the domestic cold water system because Legionella is a thermotolerant pathogen that grows and colonizes well in warm water environments. So we want to make sure that we carry that residual all the way into the domestic cold water system. In some facilities, due to the nature of the plumbing system, and when I say the nature is how far is the domestic cold water system from the point of entry of the building, how long uh, does it take to turn over the entire domestic water system? Are there storage tank? How many risers are in the building? Sometime, if we feed the disinfectant just in the cold water, it could be impossible to achieve a consistent disinfectant into the domestic water system. So the first thing to do is get, it's get familiar with the building water system, understand that, and make the application where it's needed. What we personally suggest and is to, for legionella remediation purposes, is to make the application on the domestic cold water treatment because that is where the problem uh, occurs and that's where you want to fix the problem. But of course, water treatment firms, they can, they can do both. They can install the system on the cold or install the, install the system on the hot. Our personal recommendation is to install it on the hot and then we can explain that to the customer. It could be hard to explain uh, this old concept to a person who is not familiar with water treatment. But, you know, at the end of the day, a water treatment provider, yeah, you kind of have to give your customer what your customer wants, but you want to give your customer what is going to work at the end of the day. But again, I say the hot water and cold water, it depends where we are in the country. You know, if we're down in Florida or California or Texas, even if it's technically cold water during summer, that water could reach temperatures that could start to promote the growth of Legionella. So in those specific cases, it might make sense to treat both systems. So that's something that the water treatment provider needs to be aware. And then other things is definitely 
which kind of disinfectant is the municipality using, uh, what what are the level of disinfectants coming in from the municipality? Sometimes are very low, sometimes are uh, kind of high based on where the facility is. And, you know, see if there are, as I said, get familiar with the, with the building water system in order to, uh, to, make, the application, to make the application right for, for your customer. This is something that uh, also, you know, when we talk about um, what, a water management plan, there is usually a water management team. So as a water treatment provider is trying to help a, his customer with, in answering these questions, there are usually other people sitting at the table in order to try to figure out what the best option is. It's not just about the water treater and the building owner or, or manager. You mentioned finding out what disinfection the municipality is using. Is there any time you don't want to use one of our secondary disinfectants because the municipality is using something? No, I wouldn't say that. It, it, it's just important to understand what is coming in from, uh, from the city so you can make your application properly. So let's pretend that you know, the level that is coming in from the city will vary based on season and based on time. Uh, so it's not going to be always the same throughout the year. So I want to know what's coming in. So as the word supplementals say, I will just supplement what is necessary in order to achieve what I'm trying to achieve. So let's pretend that the municipality is using monochloramine and I want to install a monochloramine system in the building. I want to make sure that I know what is coming in so I can just add on top of that what I need, you know, and control based on that as well. Uh, same if I'm using free chlorine or same if I'm feeding free chlorine on top of monochloramine, uh, because if the city is using monochloramine and I feed free chlorine on top of that, uh, there could be some reaction that could lead some, to certain uh, products that, um, for you know, for the end user, so for the building occupants, could you know smell weird or something like that. So uh, this is drinking water. So you want to make sure that uh, you make the application right. With all the different disinfectants we have to choose from, are some better choices for the building piping systems than others? Again, it depends. You know, a, a disinfectant is an oxidant. Uh, so as an oxidant, it will have the tendency to react and kill the bacteria. But of course, it will have the tendency to react with plumbing components, uh, you know, gasket O-rings, uh, copper, plastic plumbing components. So, yeah, that's a good question. And that's something that uh, the water treatment providers should look at as well. Uh, what are the materials of construction? Uh, you know, most of the time it's copper, but there are some buildings where, where they have plastics. So if they have plastics, uh, for sure, uh, using chlorine dioxide is not a best, uh, a be is not a good idea because chlorine dioxide is a gas dissolved in solution that could oxidize the plasticizer and damage the um, plastic components of the piping, as well as if we're using chlorine in a system that is uh, made just basically with copper, we got to take into account that we might see some pitting corrosion down the road, um, especially if the application of the disinfectant is not made in the way it's supposed to. So uh, depends how you control it. You know, um, I'm not a big fan of controlling a disinfectant in a building with a probe. I like to control disinfectant in the building based on water flow. So that is a fixed number and it's much more reliable than a probe. But there are some water treatment provider and manufacturer that uh, control the disinfectant just with a probe. And if the probe goes bad or is not calibrated, you could overfeed the system. And by overfeeding the system, you could potentially damage the plumbing components. Earlier, you mentioned other pathogens. What are these other pathogens we should be looking at? Yeah, good question. So everybody is concerned about Legionella, right? Because all the literature out there is about Legionella. ASHA 188 is about Legionella. The guideline 12 is about Legionella. The CMS letter that came out in 2017 is about Legionella. So everybody's concerned about Legionella, but Legionella is not the only pathogen out there that could be harmful for humans. 
I would say two other pathogens that are uh, harmful for for humans are definitely pseudomonas and uh, non-tuberculosis mycobacteria. When we have the conversation with the customers, and that is definitely something that we want to bring up because in some cases the customer is concerned about pseudomonas. So you may want to make the application uh, on the cold water in that case because the customer is concerned about pseudomonas. And another uh, point here, you know, as I said, uh, it's all about, you know, for everybody, it's all about Legionella. And specifically, it's always all about Legionella in healthcare facilities. So there is this interest in reducing the risk associated with Legionella in a healthcare environment. Because, of course, a hospital, a nursing homes, that's where, you know, immunocompromised people are. But it is not just about healthcare facilities. There is business and there are opportunities out there in buildings that are not healthcare facilities. Uh, all big buildings with big recirculating uh, domestic water system are at risk for Legionella. And, you know, hotels, casinos, probably even more than a healthcare facilities because the volumes of water in there, uh, it, it's much higher. But definitely the conversation in that case with the uh, building management, it's much harder because sometimes they don't even know about Legionella. They don't even know what it is. So uh, it's not just about Legionella and it's not just about healthcare facilities, especially right now that we're coming out from COVID and buildings are reopening. There is definitely an increased awareness about Legionella and other waterborne pathogens from people that come not just from the healthcare industry. Are there special permits or licenses that are needed in order to administer supplemental disinfection? This is the very, very, very tough question that, uh, you know, when uh, somebody has the questions, there is not a uniform answer, you know, to, to, this, uh, to this question. It depends where you are in the country. So it depends in which state you are. Um, different states different requirements. Usually we can find three different approaches to that. So the first approach is there is not any requirement. So the water that is de delivered from the city is already drinking water. So that's already safe. So you, you want to apply supplemented disinfectant, do that, but you don't have to apply for, uh, for anything. Then there are some states such as Florida or Connecticut that say if you want to implement the supplemental disinfectant on the cold water, then you need to apply for a permit. Whereas if you want to implement the disinfectant just on the hot water, then you do not need to apply for a permit simply because people don't drink, usually don't drink hot water. And then there are states where you need to apply for a permit regardless to where you're applying the supplemental disinfectant. So this is the First step, you know, understanding whether or not you have to apply for a permit or not. Second step is, okay, I figure out I need to apply for a permit. What do I need to do? So first of all, understand who is the authority having jurisdiction in that state. Different states have different, you know, authority having jurisdiction. So uh, if they're the DEP, DOH, the EPA. Uh, so you need to understand that first where to actually apply for the permit. Then when you apply for the permit, the common requirements of a permit are having an engineering drawing stamped by a PE who is uh, licensed in that, uh, in that state. And then there's also a certified operator uh, that needs to oversee the supplement and disinfection equipment. But again, this is another step that it's very difficult to understand. Okay, so does the certified operator need to be on site every day to just look at a, a couple of pumps pumping chemical into the system? Or does he have to be in once a month? Or since we can re monitor the system online, he can just check that online and that is good enough. It's very difficult to understand that. Different states have different requirements in regards to that. Plus, when I say certified operator, that is something that is related to a public water supply. So that is a guy who has a license to be a, an operator on a public water utility, which is much different than a building water system. There are different skills that are required in a building water system versus a public water utility. 
So for example, in a building water system, water flows in different direction. There are cooling towers, there are softeners, there are boilers, uh, stuff that we don't have in a public water supply. A building water system has a recirculating hot water system. A public water utility does not. A building water system has hot water heaters. So there are some. there is definitely an overlap in the skills, of course, understanding disinfectants and, you know, understanding the chemistry of disinfectants. But there are definitely some skills that do not match between a public water supply operator and a building water system operator. So that is why right now there is a lot of work in AWWA in order to develop, you know, a training program for building water systems. So that will make it much easier for people in the water treatment industry to apply and to become certified for that. And I literally think that a person who has a CWT is definitely qualified to uh, run a supplemental disinfection system much better than uh, a building who runs a public water utility. Just because a person who has a CWT is, is used to a building water system, they know what's going on in a building plumbing system. So that is the, you know, the challenges that a building has to face when applying a supplemental disinfectant is, first of all, do I need to apply for a permit? If I do, what are the requirements? Unfortunately, because of that, sometimes the effect is the opposite. Sometimes the building says, you know what? I don't really want to apply for that. I don't really want to go through the whole permit. I don't want to spend more money. I don't have an operator on site. I, my water treatment provider doesn't have an operator. I don't want to hire another person. So unfortunately, sometimes they say, well, even if the water management plan suggests me I should implement a supplemental disinfectant, I don't really want to spend that kind of money. And um, so they actually are going, the, the whole permit application is made to protect the public health, to make sure that the disinfection application is made in the proper way. But sometimes it, the requirements are so tough that the building says, you know what, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to go for something that is not as effective as supplemental disinfectant, but it's too much for me to deal with that. Are you seeing more language that a certified water technologist, a CWT, is qualified to be an operator? That is definitely something that as a uh, member of that AWWA premise plumbing committee, that is definitely something I'm trying to push in order to make that happen because that is literally the way it is. Uh, you know, we, we want to make sure that the person who is running the equipment has a good understanding of what is going on in the building. I've been to the AWT classes. Um, I'm pretty sure that just by adding um, you know, one or a couple of more lessons about a building water system. What is the potable side of a building water system? Definitely the water treatment providers will, from AWT, will definitely don't have any issue in learning that. I mean, we all know that some, uh, you know, sometimes we get to work, uh, Sanipur does not do anything direct. You know, we, our customers are water treatment provider that then at the end of the day will deal with the end user. And most of our customers are AWT firms. And, you know, you definitely know that some firms have been in buildings for more than 20 years because there is that kind of relationship between, between the building manager and the water treatment firm. So literally those guys are the ones that know how the water goes in that building. I mean, they're, they're probably, they probably know more than the, the building people, uh, you know, so that's why it's, it's very important that, a certification for a building water operator will be developed and so that people from water treatment firm can be certified and help uh, with that, you know. And there are already certifications out in the market for to better understand uh, Legionella, you know, the ASCII 12080. That is definitely a valuable certification. I'm certified to that as well. And that, you know, brings a lot of knowledge uh, for, for people that might not be completely involved in in the Legion Island water hygiene market. When you go to a trade show such as the Association of Water Technologies, what are some of the most common questions you get asked about this? Um, it depends. Uh, depends who you're talking with. Uh, there are some firms that are very involved in the Legionella market, so they they're more interested about the technology. Uh, you know, they might already 
have some customers where they are applying supplemented disinfectants. So in that case, they might just be more uh, interested in, okay, tell me about your system. Why does your system work better than others? And what are the pros and the cons? On the other hand, there are some firms that are not involved in the water hygiene market. So in that case, you get more questions about why should I get involved in the water hygiene market? You know, why should I start to treat drinking water and be involved in the Legionella market, you know? And, uh, well, the way I always answer that question is, uh, first of all, uh, because you literally save lives uh, by doing that, uh, you know, you will never know who you saved because you saved them, but, you know, you definitely save some people. It's like wearing a mask uh, with COVID, you know, you're saving people, but you don't know who you're saving. So definitely because of public health, you're actually helping public health, uh, you're helping buildings, uh, but also, um, you know, you might doing the water treatment in the building and then all of a sudden that building has a Legionella problem and they bring in another vendor to take care of the Legionella. And then because you didn't have an offering, because you didn't pursue that market. And then next thing you know, you are competing with the other vendor for your water treatment that you were doing in that building, you know, cooling towers and boilers. So you kind of want to keep yourself outside of that area, you know, outside of that jeopardy, uh, you know, and because I we've seen that happening a lot that, you know, you don't have the offering, someone else comes in and then they start to, you know, go after your business that you're doing in that building. Uh, not that this is the most important question, reason, definitely the most important is helping public health, but this is something that companies, uh, water treatment firms need to understand right now. And also right now, as we're coming out of the pandemic, the awareness about Legionella and other waterborne pathogens, it's much, much higher than two years ago for two main reasons. The first one is that buildings now are reopening, so they have to disinfect and eventually test for Legionella. So they might figure out that they have a problem and then they got to do something about it. And also just for an awareness of infections in general. You know, before COVID, I think that a lot of people downplayed Legionella uh, because you don't have that feeling with an infection and you kind of feel that it will never happen to you. But right now, people are much more serious about pulmonary infections. I mean, at least from our standpoint, we have seen a very, you know, increased business uh, between the end of 2020 and 2021 is definitely going up very fast. So you have thousands of water treaters listening to you right now. How can you help them avoid some of the pitfalls that you've seen some people experience? What are those pitfalls and what shouldn't we be doing? You know, if if a supplemental disinfectant is misapplied, uh, then it could be it could do more harm than good. So, um, as we were saying before, you need to understand what you have to look for, and you need to make the application in the correct way. Uh, because otherwise, you know, if the application is not made in the correct way, you're not going to remediate Legionella, and somebody can get sick. You know, and I've seen that a lot, that uh, some uh, buildings uh, decided to maybe apply the disinfectant just on the cold water and then didn't fix the problem. And then they, you know, they had to go back and rethink about the whole application. There are a lot of case studies uh, out there of failed uh, supplemental disinfection application because the application was not made right. Make sure that you get the right equipment. Uh, you get an equipment with uh, safety features. Keep in mind that it's drinking water. People drink that water. So we want to make sure that there is a, a level of precision that is much higher than you know, other form of water treatment. Uh, make sure that when you um, pick a, a product manufacturer and you decide to go with a certain technology, make sure that that manufacturer is reliable. So make sure that you have somebody who can help you if, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, the water treater is the guy out in the field. So make sure that you have support from that um, manufacturer. If something happens, you know, you have somebody, somebody you can call and, you know, maybe on a cell phone and make sure that they are available. I mean, I wouldn't say 24 seven, but, you know, you want to make sure that if you're, uh, if you need something, um, you know, get somebody who can help you. 
get a product manufacturer who is experienced in, in this market so they can help you if something happens, even in the case of um, you know anything that can happen from the failure of the equipment or you need to help the end user. And then for sure, test for Legionella. Uh, you know, if you test for Legionella, it's proactive. It is more expensive than don't test, yes. But believe me, it is much cheaper to be proactive and test instead of not testing and then something happens and then the state gets involved. At that point, you're not on your clock anymore. At that point, the state will tell you how many times you have to, uh, to test, how often you have to test, and where you have to test. So at that point, someone else is going to decide how much you have to test for Legionella. You know? So if you keep testing for Legionella, you figure out you have a problem, then you know what to do. You just follow your water management plan and you know what to do. You know how to fix it. Whereas if you just don't do anything, you're just blind. And then if something happens, you're, you're in big, big danger. And unfortunately, that is the message that comes from a lot of time from facility people. You get some people that are very proactive and they even want to test before they implement anything to establish a baseline, which I believe is the right way to do. Um, and then you have to some people that just say, well, you know what? Nobody tells me I have to test, so I don't want to test. Because then if I test and I find it, I got to do something about it. But guess what? Nobody tells you you have to test, but at the end of the day, if you are the building owner or the building manager, ultimately, you are the person who is responsible for the safety of the occupant of, of the building. So even if nobody told you you had to test, if something happens to you, the people in your building, you will be uh, involved into the litigation process no matter what. So testing is the right thing to do. If you could only get one point across today from our interview, what do you want that point to be? My point will be that for a lot of water treatment firms that are not involved into the water hygiene and Legionella market to think about getting involved in that market. I feel that a lot of people are scared about this market because it's drinking water and they think that they don't want to deal with drinking water. But at the end of the day, you are responsible no matter what, even if you're treating the cooling tower because, you know, Legionella can grow in cooling tower as well. So I feel that some water treatment firms decide that they don't want to go down that path of the water hygiene market. But on the other hand, I think it would be a good idea at least to Take into account the idea of, well, let's think about it. You know, let's evaluate what are the pros and the cons. Let me think with some product manufacturer or, or some consultant, what are the business opportunities that are out there and that I can pursue if I enter this market? Well, I have a few lightning round questions for you. So we're not quite done with the interview yet. Let's do it. All right. So I asked these of all my guests. So you now have the power to go back to your first day working with water pathogens. What advice would you give yourself? Oh, this is a tough question. I, I don't know. I would say that when I started to work in these uh, market, I always had really good teachers. So my uh, boss back home, and my boss here, uh, you know, really good teachers. They can, you know, they taught me well, not just about the chemistry of disinfectants, but also about, you know, waterborne pathogens in general. So probably the advice that I would give myself is do as you did. Listen to your boss, you know, and uh, you won't be, you won't regret that. And uh, uh, yeah, for sure. And, uh, uh, you know, if somebody gets involved in, in this market, definitely try to get involved uh, even in, in organizations that have committees about, you know, Legionella and other waterborne pathogens, because as I said, that's where you literally find the world-class scientists that can teach you a lot. What are the last few books that you've read? So unfortunately, I don't read a lot of books. I read a lot of uh, scientific literature. So, you know, I read, I think that the last uh, uh, journal I read was, I think, Journal of AWWA a few weeks ago. And of course, as an Italian, I read uh, recipe books because I like to cook. 
So that's what I like to do. That is, that is for relaxing. You know, after you're done at work every day, you go home and you uh, uh, read some good recipe and uh, then you cook it. Favorite thing to cook? Uh, it depends on the it depends on the time of the year. I like to cook lasagna when it's winter. Uh, you know, I like to cook that. I like to cook uh, Milanese. Uh, you know, during during spring and fall. So it kind of depends. Uh, my friends and I usually, when we watch the Eagles every Sunday, we usually uh, you know go at someone's place and we do big dinner and someone cooks. You know, every time. So. Unfortunately, sometimes, even, even if it's not a thing in Italy, I had to cook spaghetti and meatballs. So for uh, all the, the, the people here, it is not a thing in Italy. If you're going to Rome, don't ask for that. They'll just look at you funny. Exactly. <laughs> well, let me ask this question. If there are people listening today that want to learn more about this topic, are there certain books or journals you would recommend to them? About lasagna or about Legionella? <laughs> yes, about lasagna, of course. <laughs> <laughs> about supplemental disinfection. About supplemental disinfection. Um, uh, about Legionella in general, I think uh, there is a lot of information on the EPA website. Uh, on the EPA website, there is a, a review of the technologies that uh, uh, have been used for supplemental disinfectants. So, you know, that is, uh, that is definitely a good point to start. I think that back in 2019, there was a report published by the National Academy of Science, which is free to download. That is a very big report, but that is definitely something that can help people to, you know, understand the world of supplemental disinfectants. And then, you know, sign up for conferences like uh, AWT. There is an NSF Legionella conference every year. I think this year, uh, is in two sessions. One is already done. Was already done. The, I don't remember when the other one is, but uh, that is just specifically about Legionella. So there is a lot to learn there. And then there are a lot of uh, scientific peer-reviewed paper. But for somebody who has to learn about the topic, that's where I would start. You know, I would start from the EPA website, the National Academy of Science report, and go to conferences to get familiar with, you know, to kind of frame the issue, frame the problem, and frame what are the options to fix the problem. And then after that, you can do your homework and find what are the, you know, the, the pros and cons of each technology, you know. When Hollywood makes a movie about Dr. Alberto Camazzi, who plays you? This is a very easy question. You know why? Because I'm bald. So I would say either Vin Diesel or Bruce Willis. There you go. <laughs> be an action movie. <laughs> exactly. It would be an action movie. Final question. You now have the ability to talk to anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Um, I don't know. I think there are uh, probably a bunch of people I would talk with. Uh, mostly, I'm a chemist. So mostly chemists. Uh, I would pick probably... The uh, only uh, chemistry Nobel Prize that Italy ever won, so Giulio Natta uh, in the 60s, uh, he won the Nobel Prize for uh, polypropylene. Uh, so I will definitely I will be happy to go back in time and, um, and talk with him. When I was in college, uh, I had this um, professor. He was the head of the research of these uh, big, big, big chemical companies chemical company who was called Montedison uh, back in the days. And they were involved in the, uh, uh, you know, in the process of the development of the catalyst to produce uh, polypropylene. So, you know, he would tell these stories about, you know, how things were back in the 60s. It was a big time for uh, the industry, uh, especially the chemical industry in Italy. So I would definitely be uh, more than happy to go back in time and talk with them. Uh, this professor I had, which by the way, he just passed away a few months ago, but uh, he published this book, which that is probably one of the last book I read. Uh, you know, he published this book about all the crazy stories, you know, crazy in, industrial stories and, you know, the, the story of the chemical industry in Italy about those years. It's, it's very, it's very interesting, you know, of course, for somebody who's not from there, it's kind of hard to learn about that, but it's a very interesting story. Well, Alberto, I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O. We've never had your perspective on Legionella before, so I know we've answered a lot of questions, and I'm sure we've created even more. So get ready for some more questions, probably going straight to your email. That will be good. You know, I'll, uh, you know, I'll be there ready to answer the questions. 
Alberto, once again, thank you so much for coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Of course, we are re-airing that episode because it was so popular. We wanted to make sure that people found it very easily. And Alberto is actually coming back next year where we're going to talk a little bit more about his expertise and helping educate the Scaling Up Nation. So thanks again. And uh, as always, if there is a topic that you want to hear more on, go to scalinguph2o.com and let us know all about that. Somebody who's always letting us know a little bit more about water treatment, one drop at a time, here's a brand new Thinking on Water with James. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about infrared thermometers or guns. Why would you want to use an infrared thermometer on industrial water systems? What pieces of equipment should they be used upon? How far away are they accurate? What does the distance to spot ratio tell you about the size of area the infrared thermometer is measuring? How does the design of the steam trap impact where and what temperature you should see around a trap? Take this week to think about infrared thermometers, their strengths, weaknesses, and uses. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. James, as always, thank you for all that you do for the water treatment community. And uh, James is going to be coming on a later episode this year to talk about how he is wrapping up Thinking on Water with James and what we're thinking about doing next year. So you don't want to miss that. And you definitely don't want to miss another brand new episode next Friday where I will be bringing that straight to you. Have a great week, everybody. Scaling Up Nation, so many people that I talk to want to join the Rising Tide Mastermind, but they're concerned about being able to commit one hour a week for the mastermind calls. Folks, I have to tell you, when you experience that hour, you realize that that is the power hour that changes every other hour that you will experience that week. If we keep doing the same things, we will keep doing the same results. And that one hour a week allows you to get out of the day-to-day so you can work on your day-to-day. Do something different. Find out about the Rising Tide Mastermind by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.